All right, church, go ahead and find your seats. How's everybody doing this morning? Woo-woo. Yeah, it is fall. It feels like fall. It's wonderful. We came in yesterday, like I said, turned all the, the thermostats from AC over to heat. Like, it's just nice. Like, there's something about this time of year that I love. Um, hey, before we dive in today, I'm going to do kind of a shameless plug. And I know, I just need you to know this about me. You'll probably, if you're new here, you'll find this out. I like to celebrate holidays when they're supposed to be celebrated, right? So, Halloween, that's a fun day where we get to dress up, do that, all that kind of stuff. Trunk or treat happens here at Adventure. Then there's Thanksgiving that comes after that. Let me just tell you, Christmas does not come directly after Halloween, all right? You, you are allowed to listen to Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving, right? The, having said that, we're going to talk about Christmas, <laughs> Right? So this is one. This is the only. This is the only time we'll get holidays out of order, and it's for a good cause. Um, at Adventure, we do something every fall, late in the fall, as we get closer to the holidays, called Season of Hope, where we look for opportunities to serve, to help, to provide for people in our community. Uh, the last few years, we've done coat drives. We've partnered with Tully Elementary and Bates Elementary School to do coat drives for families in needs. We're going to do that again. But one of the things that we do to kind of kick off our Season of Hope is this Operation Christmas Child deal, and it's a lot of fun. It's a really cool way uh, for us to, to serve kids around the planet, right? And so one of the things we do with this, and one of the reasons we do this is because it is an opportunity not only to send gifts, but also to have Jesus conversations uh, in places around the world that are hard to get to. Um, so this is gonna, we're going to start getting more information out to you about Season of Hope, about Operation Christmas Child, but I want to put it on your radar because... Uh, we'll start collecting for that. We'll start distributing boxes for that, those kinds of things here pretty soon. So it's the only time we're going to get holidays out of order. It's because we want to talk Jesus to kids, okay? That's okay. That's the only time it's okay to do that. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in this morning. Jesus, we love you. And this morning, we just thank you that you meet with us, like Matt said, that, that there are a lot of us in the room, myself included, that, that God have a hard time sometimes believing that people would like us, let alone love us. Um, but you do both. Uh, not only do you love us, but you like us. And Father, I pray today that we would feel that, that we would experience that, that we would, uh, that we would get to see that in a new light, Lord, that we would begin to see ourselves the way that you see us, and that we are your kids, we're your sons and your daughters, and our lives are worth the life of your own son, right? You, you can't put a price tag on that. That's who you say we are. That's how valuable you say we are. And, Father, there's a lot of junk and a lot of noise in our lives that wants to convince us that, that that's, that's not who we are. So, God, today I pray that as we unpack your word, as we unpack your truth, that your spirit would meet us in this place. And like we say all the time, as we are, Father, that you would meet us as we are, where we are. And today we would walk out of this place different for no other reason than we got to hear from you. So open your word to us today, Jesus. We want to hear it. We want to know it. We want to live it. We want to experience the life that you desire for us. We pray all this in your name. Everybody said. All right, so we, we kicked off this series a few weeks ago by kind of acknowledging, just all of us together, like group therapy, kind of acknowledging and admitting that, that for most of us, all of us, right, there are two distinct parts of our lives, right? We kind of use this iceberg as a, as a way of, of looking at this, right? So there's this, there's this surface life. Right, There's this life that exists above the surface, and, and th those are the things that we want people to see. These are the things that we want people to see, that we want them to believe is real and true about us, right? That we are put together, that we are happy, that we, you know, we've got the possessions that qualify us, like we live in the nice neighborhood or we drive the nice car, those kinds of things. We're successful, we have status, we have influence, like our, 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 we curate our social media Right, So that when people see our, our Instagram pics, it's like, man, I want to be that family. Right, That's what we want people to see. That's what lives on the surface. But there's this second part of our lives, and that's everything that lives below the surface. Right, So we want people to believe the stuff above the surface is true. But the reason that this is freaky is because the stuff that's below the surface actually is true. Right, And these are things like our fears, our doubts, our worries, our insecurities, regret, shame. Those, th those moments that you think back to and you still cringe. Right, those moments you think back to and, and you still are afraid, those moments that you think back to and, and it reminds you of that failure, that guilt, that shame, that mess, whatever it is, that trauma. And so here's what happens. 
what we do with this is we try to keep all of that stuff that's underneath the surface down below the surface. And it's like I said a couple of weeks ago, when it comes to the things beneath the things in our lives, it's like when you've been swimming in a pool and somebody hands you a ball and you try to shove it underwater and like hold it there. Right? That takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of attention. It takes a lot of focus to make sure that that ball stays down because if it comes up, right, if it comes up, right, so people are going to see that. So it takes a lot of energy. It takes, it takes vast amounts of energy for you and I to hold the things beneath the things under that waterline in our lives. And here's what we're afraid of. The stuff that we're afraid of, the stuff that we're ashamed of, all that kind of stuff, the stuff that we don't like, the stuff that we assume that if people found out these wounds, these scars, these, these hurts that we have, and it, it's the stuff that if anybody found out about the real us, they would run for the hills. What we do, just like trying to hold that ball underwater in a pool, right, we try to force all of that stuff down and we keep it there. Our job, right, the energy, the effort, the attention, all that kind of stuff, we spend that on keeping that shoved down below the surface in our lives. But here's what we learned in the last few weeks. And really, my guess is all of us, we've known this to be true all along. And that's this, the things beneath the things in our lives, they are constantly pushing back against us. Because like it or not, they're, the, they're a part of the real us. Right? That, that stuff that's like, I, I don't want to admit this, the stuff that's like, I, I, I wish this wasn't here, these parts of our stories that were like, I wish this wasn't true, they are. Right? They're a part of the real us, and so even though we're trying to force those things and keep those things at bay, they continue to push back against us. They try to come up to the surface, and what happens? We get triggered, right? We talked about triggers a couple weeks ago. When we experience, what triggers are is when you and I experience the emotions in the present that feel similar and remind us of the painful events and the wounds in our past. We feel that push, right? Just like that ball we're trying to hold underwater. We feel that thing start to push back against us. That's trying to get up to the surface. And when that happens, right, all of that emotion and all of that energy has to go somewhere. And for us, what happens is it usually comes out sideways. And all of that emotion gets unleashed on people that don't deserve it. Dealing with our triggers, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, means that we have to go back into, we have to turn and face and go back into those moments, those events where we got hurt. We have to go back into some of the scariest and most painful places and experiences and moments in our lives. But what we learned is this. We looked at Moses' story when we talked about triggers, right? Moses' story is this, that God not only leads us back into some of those painful and scary places, but he also promises to go with us. If you remember this from a couple weeks ago, Exodus 3, such a cool moment, right? In chapter, in chapter 3, verse 11, God literally tells Moses in the form of a burning bush, hey, you've got to go back into Egypt, which was one of the most painful and scariest places that Moses had ever been, right? He's a wanted man there. He's a fugitive, right? The king of Egypt wants to kill him. And God says, I need you to go back there. And so Moses asks the question. He says, well, who, who am I? Like, who am I? Like, God, I, th I think you got the wrong guy. Like, who am I to go back to the king of Egypt and, and say, hey, listen, you need to let Israel, you need to let them out of slavery, you need to let them out of captivity. And, and God says, well, yeah, you're, you're you because I picked you, but here's the deal. I'll go with you. And then Moses asks this great question like, all right, well, if you're coming with me, then who should I tell them you are? And God responds with his name, I am. I am who I am. Which, if you remember a couple weeks ago, when it comes to going back into those triggers, turning and facing some of those painful events in our past, what we know is this, God goes with us. And when we ask those questions, well, who's going to help me with this? God goes, I am. He just says his name. Well, who's going to deal with this? God says, I am. Who's going to heal this? God says, I am. I'm the one. I will go. You're not going alone. And then last week, we talked about these moments where we get overwhelmed with, you know, our thoughts and our feelings, right? When, when we feel those things beneath the things in our lives kind of push back against us and try to get to the surface, let's be real, it feels like a threat. It's really threatening, right? There's a clear and present danger, right? And it lives beneath the waterline in our lives. And for us, at least, like when we feel that threat, when we feel that danger, the flight response kicks in, right? It's fight, flight, or freeze. And for most of it, it's just flight. Run, like get away. And when we feel that, we run to these places called our hideouts, right? Justin talked about this last week. And, and for a lot of us, what that looks like is, is this. When we feel threatened, when we run to this place where we hide, we pull back from friendships, we stop returning phone calls. We, 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 we hit the button where it sends it straight to voicemail, or we don't send text messages, or we don't respond, or we respond just really quick, really short, 
with, with just like, we don't want a conversation uh, about this. We pull back from our friendships. We disengage. When we go to our hideouts, we disengage from community and accountability. Why? Because someone might tell me, hey, I see you. I can see you hiding. And I don't want anybody to say that. I don't want anybody to find me. So I'm going to disengage from community accountability because I don't need that in my life right now. We cut off relationships. We end relationships. But we learned last week that in those hideouts, God comes to us. And he asks the same question to us that he asked this guy named Elijah who was hiding out in his cave. He says this, what, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And I love this story. I love Elijah's story, right? That, that even though God shows up in some pretty amazing ways, right? In Elijah's story, God shows up in a, in a windstorm that rips cliffs off of mountains. He shows up in an earthquake. He shows up in fire. He, he could show up in all those ways. God can do that. He could show up in really powerful ways. But here's the cool thing that we learned from Elijah's story. When God finds us in our hideouts, he doesn't come in guns blazing. He doesn't, he doesn't look at you and I like when we're in our hideouts and go, come out with your hands up, right? That's not God's response, like God's response is not for us to come out with our hands up. In fact, what we see in Elijah is that when God finds us in our hideouts, he whispers to us. Like, what are you doing here? What are you, what are you, why are you here? And I love how Steve Carter in the book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, he impacts this. And I love this. He says, God knows exactly where we are physically. Right? He knows exactly where we are. God knows exactly where we are physically. You can't hide from him. He knows where you are. But here's why God asks the question what are you doing here? He asks because he wants us to feel him questioning us. Where are my image bearers? Because that's what we were created for. I mean, church, when, when God created human beings, when he created mankind, when he created us, male and female, right, he created us to bear his image. We have his impression on our lives. We were intended, God's intent for us was to reflect him to all creation. So when all creation saw us, they saw him. And he says, where, that's who I'm looking for. I'm looking for my image bearers. I'm looking for my people. Where, where is the fullest expression of who I intended you to be? Where's the real you? Really? That's what God wants us to feel. He wants us to feel us, him questioning that. Why? Because when he begins to whisper to that, he kind of starts to draw it back out into the light. Like, you're safe. You're safe. Come with me. Here's the truth, church. God does not settle for the version of us that hides out in fear and shame. He's not going to settle for that, right? He, that, that hides from, from our true selves and from others. God, God doesn't settle for the version of you that wants to numb or ignore, right, the, the, the deep feeling in your hearts or, or the things that you struggle with emotionally. And here's the thing. If God's not going to settle for that, then he's not going to let us settle for that either, which is why he promises us, listen, I'm going to walk through all this with you. I will find you in your hideouts. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to demand you come out with your hands up. I'm going to whisper to you. I'm gonna, I want you to feel me questioning who you really are to draw you back out into the light and life that he wants for us. He calls out to us. And, th and this is really why we're doing this whole series. Like I said last week, we, we, we want to keep the why in front of us. And the reason for this is because this is hard work. I mean, I, for me, like, I have been, I have seen a professional counselor for the better part of 15 years. And it is hard work sometimes. Sometimes you got to turn and face stuff that you're like, I'd rather not, right? But there are times you got to turn and face that stuff, but you have to keep the why in front. If you don't keep the why in front of you, when things get really difficult, you'll quit. Right? All of those things, this is too hard. You, you, don't, you need to do this, right? But, but this is why we got to keep going. This is the why behind this. God wants for you and I, we see this in his word, he wants for you and I to live into the fullest expression of who he knows we really are and who he intended us to be, right? And we call that here at Adventure the with God life. Like that's a life that's possible for us. That's a life that Jesus makes possible for us. We call it the with God life. And here's the cool thing about the with God life. It doesn't have a water line. There is no waterline in the with God life because there's nothing to hide from God. He already knows, number one, he already likes you, and guess what? He loves you too. There's no reason to hide. So if there's no reason to hide from God, then why is there reason to hide from anybody else? I mean, one is the most powerful person in existence ever who can speak in universes, just go, we're here. What? If you don't have to hide from that... Why do you have to hide from anybody else? 
But here's our why, right? We've got to keep going back to this. In order for you and I to experience this holy, which means unique, the word holy means unique, unlike anything else. In order for you and I to experience the unlike anything else, abundant with God life that God wants for us, that Jesus makes possible for us, that the Holy Spirit makes a reality for us, right? God within us. You and I, we have to be willing to get after and also let God into the things beneath the things in our lives. You want to know what's holding you back from the with God life? You are. I am. That's what's holding us back. It's one of those things where, and, and I've been wrestling with this a lot in the last couple of weeks, right? So one of the things that I've really committed to this year is, is growing and not just doing leadership things, but becoming a better leader. And one of the things that I keep wrestling with, one of the things that keeps coming back to me is this. Brad, a lot of the things in your life are not your fault, but because you're the leader of your household, you're the leader of a church, you're the leader of a staff team, you're the leader of, because you're, it's not your fault, Brad, but it is your responsibility. And for a lot of us, that's the truth. I said this a couple weeks ago. When it comes to our mental health and our emotional health, all the things that we've dealt with, the places that we're in, there are a lot of times that churches want to look at you and go, well, it's your sin. It's your fault. It's not. For most of us in the room, the things that we deal with, depression, anxiety, all those kinds of things, I mean, it's, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. But, church, it is our responsibility to figure out how to deal with this. We have to take ownership, right? There's a thin line between victim and victor. And we got to take ownership of this. Because there's a God who goes, if you only had an idea, if you could only catch a glimpse of what I want for you, of what I know is true for you, we could do this together. And that's what this is about. So I'm just going to be real with you. What we're going to unpack today has felt like the, it's felt the most personal, all right? A lot of things are personal, but this one, this was one where I just kind of wanted to call in sick. I got, I got up this morning at 6 a.m., my alarm went off, and went, I'm not feeling well, Matt, so, like, you're, you're going to have to take this one, right? This was the one that even when we had it up on the board, we are planning our seat, this is one, like, can we just skip this one? Can we just skip this one entirely? Like, if there's ever, if there's ever been a point, like, on a journey where you go, you know, I think we've come far enough. I think we've done enough. I think we've, like, we've talked about some cool, we've talked about triggers, we've talked about hideouts, you know what, we're done. How many of us would go like, thank you, right? This is the one for me where I just go, you know, I think I want to turn around and go back. And here's why. Today we're talking about our insecurity. And that's personal for me. And you're going to find out here in a minute. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more of my story here in a second. But what I want us to do is, is just get a better handle on what, what these things are. So what are insecurities really? Here's the definition. So if you look in the dictionary, here's what it says. Insecurity is the state of being afraid and open to a danger or threat due to a perceived lack of protection that leads us to uncertainty or anxiety about oneself. I'll be honest with you, church. I read the definition this week while I was studying for this. That triggered me. Right? A, a few lines in a dictionary, I'm going, <sighs> like I'm looking down, my watch is going, like your heart rate's 138. I'm like, I gotta get up and go for a walk. Why? I read a definition of what? Insecurity. <laughs> I'm freaking out, right? But here's what I want us to catch in this something that I kept coming back to. If you look just at this definition, insecurity isn't just an emotion, insecurity isn't just a feeling, it's a state of being. It's a state of existence. Existing how? A state of what? Being afraid. When? All the time. It's not just what you feel. Insecurity is not just what you feel, but it's how you live. And I, I noticed this. I want you to catch this progression when we start talking about the things beneath the things. Like, so, so first off, we've got our triggers, right? Our triggers that, that they, they tell us there's danger. You should run. Right? We get triggered, and it tells us, hey, this is scary, this is dangerous, you should run. Where do we run? We run to our hideouts. That's where we go. We go to the places that we want to hide out. We go to the places, why? Because like Justin said last week, we think if we can just get there, that it will kind of soothe us, it will make us feel better, we'll be able to catch our breath, we can calm down, and then we can re-engage life. But here's what happens. When insecurity steps into the mix, Hideouts shift from a temporary shelter to a permanent place we live. And that's, that's when it turns into insecurity. So triggers remind us that, that the world is dangerous. 
hideouts or these places that, that, are, that we're meant to just go while we wait for the storm to blow over we're, 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 until the coast is clear. But here's what happens. It turns into insecurity. Fear turns into insecurity when a temporary hideout becomes a permanent place to live. When that thing in us says, hey, stay here. It's not just run. Now it's don't move. Stay here. See, it's not, insecurity is not a fear that comes and goes. Insecurities are constant and they're consistent. It's this feeling that you could be in danger in any moment, right? That you could come under attack by someone or something at any minute. Danger, insecurities tell us that danger and threats are out there. And if you don't do something to, to cover up, to armor up, to defend yourself, they're going to find your weaknesses and you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to be exposed and they're going to get you. Here's why insecurity is tricky. It's, it's tricky because it disguises itself as a feeling or an emotion, like lack of confidence. Like a lot of times we kind of look at insecurity, it's like, well, that person just really lacks in confidence. Bless their heart. It disguises itself as a lack of confidence, but here's what it is. Insecurity disguises itself and then gets on board. And when it gets on board in our lives, it hijacks our identity. It takes over, forcibly takes over our identity and how we live. And what it does is it roots us and it rules us with fear. That's what it does. Here's the truth, church, right? We're going to circle back to this, right? We're going to circle back to this a lot today. But when it comes to our identity and our insecurity, here's the truth. You're either growing in one or the other. There's no neutral ground. When it comes to identity or insecurity, you're either growing in your identity, which is this, who you really are. You're either growing in your identity, who you really are, or you're growing in your insecurity, one or the other. No neutral ground. And your insecurity is who you're told, convinced, or believe you have to be to stay safe, to stay successful, so that you don't get found out, whatever that is. So grab your Bibles. You've got your Bibles in front of your Bible app. If you need a Bible, we've got some on the back table back there. They are free. You can take those home with you today. We want you to have a Bible. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, right? Now, I know, I know a couple weeks ago I said, hey, we're going to talk about this guy named Saul today. I'm calling an audible, right? Hot route, Omaha, right? Audible. Here we go. Today, we're going to look at Timothy. And, and here's the thing. You're going to talk about, if you're in a group, you're going to talk about Saul in your groups this week. Uh, but we're going to talk about a guy named Timothy today. But before we jump into that, let me get us some context so we can kind of wrap our heads around what's going on. Second Timothy, that's the book you're going to, chapter 1. So just you can get there, put your finger in the whatever, bookmark it, whatever it is, save it on your phone. The book that we call Second Timothy in the Bible was actually a letter written by a guy named Paul, who we talked about. Paul was the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, planted, helped to plant churches, start communities of faith, just like this one all over the world. And he writes this letter to a guy named Timothy. And if you're putting two and two together, 2 Timothy was the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, right? That's what the two means. So Paul, at this time that he's writing this letter, he's in prison. Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome, and he's not just in prison. He's on death row, right? His life is short. His time is short. And Timothy and Paul, like, they have known each other for a long time. They've been working together. Like, Timothy had worked with Paul since he was a teenager. And now Timothy is in this place called Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. Now, most Bible scholars, people that are a lot smarter than I am, they believe that Timothy, at the time of this letter, was in his 30s. So by this point, Timothy was the, he was the pastor, he was the leader, he was the caretaker of, of this community of faith. People like us, normal, everyday, average people just trying to figure out what's life look like with Jesus in it. How do we do this? He was leading that group. So Paul... He first, what he does in the first few verses is he greets his longtime friend, apprentice, and protege, right? But then after that, right after Paul's greeting, here's what he says. Pick up in verse 6 with me. He says, for this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame, fan into flame the, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, maybe some of your translations will say timidity, but of power and love and self-control. So here's what I want you, I want to just kind of put this in our world for a second. Imagine you get a text message or an email from somebody that you look up to, somebody that you respect, someone who has spent time with you, they've mentored you, they've poured their life into you. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a friend, somebody that you look up to, somebody you look up to and respect and admire. And after they say, hey, how you doing? Hope you're doing well. Right below that in all caps, 
They say, remember who you are and stop pretending to be someone you're not. Just imagine that text message comes through. Imagine that email comes through. And you read, oh, it's email. It's a text message from this guy. It's one of my best friends. I love this person. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. Hope you're doing well. I am doing so well. Stop pretending to be someone you're not. Whoa. That's essentially what Paul's doing to Timothy. That's the conversation they're having. And so I started, as I read into this this week, I'm like, well, why, why is Paul saying this to Timothy? Like, why did Paul go from like zero to a thousand? Here's what we need to do. We need to dig into Timothy's life to, to find out. Again, Bible scholars, right, Bible people, they're people like us. And, and Bible scholars, they talk a lot about, about Bible people. They, they, oh, they open the door. To, so you can really see that, like, Bible people are just people, people like us. John Stott says this about Timothy. He says, probably by now, in the second letter, Timothy was in his 30s, but... He was seen by many around him as inexperienced for the heavy responsibilities which were being laid upon him. Stott goes on, he says, he was also temperamentally shy because Paul, in a letter to the Corinthians, he mentions Timothy. He says, listen, you've got to put him at ease when he visits you. And in, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 6.10, it's pretty crazy, 16.10, he says, Paul says to the Corinthian church, the group of people like us, he says, listen, Timothy's coming, but, but put him at ease, help him out, and don't let anyone despise him. Why? He's insecure. He's young. He's inexperienced. He's shy. And then Stock goes on to say, thirdly, Timothy, the Bible tells us that he dealt with frequent sickness. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul, he sends this letter. He says, Timothy, listen, I know you're sick a lot. I know you're often sick. And Paul even tells him, like, hey, do this to get well. Do this to make your stomach feel better. Do this to feel better. And so this is kind of what John Stott says. So this was kind of what Timothy was led to believe about who he was. Timothy was young, shy, sick, and frail. That's who Timothy believed that he was. And like a lot of us that probably deal with insecurity, you kind of see it, right? You're going into, like Timothy's going to Corinth, right? He's going to this church in a place called Corinth. He's probably freaking out on the way going, are they going to like me? Are they going to like me? What are they going to think about me? So Paul has to write ahead and go, hey, listen, Timothy's coming. When he shows up, like, help him out. And some of us that, that deal with that stress and anxiety, of, it takes a toll on our bodies. It did on mine. I mean, 2018, just a few years ago, four years ago, my fear, my insecurity, my anxiety, my depression came out sideways in all kinds of weird physical symptoms. I was in and out of the hospital for the better part of a year. Timothy, probably same way. Some of us, we know what that's like. We know exactly what this feels like. To go like, I feel sick all the time. Why? Because I'm worried all the time. Because I'm scared all the time. I'm afraid all the time. We know what this feels like. And so Timothy, based on the feedback from the world around him, he believed his insecurity told him, here's who you are, Timothy. You're too young. You're too shy. You're sick all the time. And you're weak. If you go back a little further in Timothy's life, the Bible tells us about Timothy's mom and grandma. But it doesn't say much about his Father, again, lots of Bible scholars, people smarter than me, they believe that, that Timothy's dad either bailed early on in his life, like a lot of men did in this time, or that he died. And it's interesting, when you look at life expectancy for men at this time in the world was only 35 to 40 years. So his dad, Timothy's dad, either bailed on him or, or died early, died young. And so by the time Timothy meets Paul, he grew up without a father. And the Bible also tells us that because of that, right, that, that Timothy's dad was Greek and that his mom was Jewish. And because of that, because he's half Greek, right, because Timothy's only half Greek, that kept him from, from, from being invited into a part of the Jewish culture. He wasn't allowed to hang out with, with the, the people in the Jewish culture because you're, not, you're half Greek. And because he was also half Jewish, that kept him from being a part of or being invited into the Greek culture. So and on top of that, another commentary that I read this week said that in many circles, Timothy, his nickname was this, Timid Timothy. That's how he was known. So just to kind of put it all together, just to recap, Timothy either dealt with the loss or the abandonment of his father. He dealt with not being welcomed into or invited to any kind of real community, which was also a continual and constant reminder of his dad who bailed on him. He was shy by nature. He dealt with physical sickness on a regular basis. And the one and only father figure in his life, Paul, is on death row 800 miles away awaiting execution. Like many of us, like my guess is Timothy probably heard it all enough 
and he felt it all enough, and he experienced it all enough that what did he start to do? He started to believe that he must be, I might just really be timid Timothy. That might be who I really am. Between all the triggers in his life, between running all to his hideouts, Timothy, what, what happened was, Timothy lost sight of his identity. And when Timothy lost sight of his identity, he began to grow in his insecurity. Insecurity hijacked his identity. And it said, Timothy, guess who you are? Timid Timothy. That's who you are. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like your insecurities hijack your identity? And begin to tell you who you are? This is who you are. You're too messy. This is who you are. You're a lost cause. This is who you are. You're damaged goods. This is who you are. Unlovable. That's who you are. Steve Carter says this. He says, these responses, right, these responses happen whenever we lose sight of that unique image, like we talked about, the image bearer of God within us. He says this, our sense of worthiness and purpose feels really far away. And we forget who we are and why we're here. He says, whenever we lose our centering in Christ, our identity gets replaced with insecurity. And often in our downward spiraling moments of timidity and insecurity, we believe stories about ourselves that just aren't true. We give them credibility, and they tend to take off. And maybe for you, it looks a little bit like this. curtain closes and the crowd cheers, but all you can think about is that note you didn't quite hit or that line you forgot. And you can only imagine what the critics will say and the words the crowd will murmur on their drive home. Before you've walked down the hall after the big promotion, the long, hard hours have led to this handshake, but the success doesn't shake the void you feel won't be filled when you start again to search for that thing your soul is missing. Or when you thought you'd have different news for parents about to be grand, but you must tell your mom that you miscarried again. You're starting to feel like maybe you're the light that's lost, and you're beginning to question if it's you who's to blame. And you fought back tears so you could make it to mom's minivan, where she gave you the cupcake intending to celebrate, but all you wanted to do was forget the day you didn't make the team or get voted class president or homecoming queen. Was it the campaign you ran, or did they just not like you? Or down the courtroom hall that feels lifetimes away from the aisle where you first said the we do's, but he didn't. And was it you or him that first gave up on this thing? Or was it just the inevitable ending from the beginning that you never saw coming? Or was it on that road that you drive every day, but that day you forget to look, and you regret every second that time stood still and any closer and she might have been killed, and somehow you start to wonder and believe you might be a failure? These paths you've been walking begin to feel like your identity, and you start to believe that maybe there's something uniquely disqualifying about you, something unfixable, maybe defective, possibly, broken, probably, unlovable, surely, not good enough, definitely, maybe. You just don't deserve this. Identity leads us down these paths. That we take on, our insecurity leads us down these paths where we take on different identities, and we all... We all become method actors to some degree, right? There's this kind of hotly debated topic about method acting in Hollywood right now. Google it. It's crazy. But here's what happens. When our insecurities hijack our identities and they start to take over, they start to take over how we live, here's what happens. We become a method actor. And method actors, here's what they do. Method actors don't just play a part. They try to become one. And I read this article about method acting, and it says this about some of the dangers. It says that the boundary between the boundary gets blurred between factual and fictional, and that results in carrying what is intended to be pretend into everyday life with extreme negative effects. We get convinced, like the video says, that we are in fact unlovable and unlikable and unacceptable. And the result is, instead of just pretending to be a part, we start to become a role that's loosely based on who we are. I, I read a really interesting fact this week. I went down the rabbit hole and all this kind of stuff. Did you know that, that for a movie, and you've probably seen the movies that would say true story, that for a movie that has the label true story, it only has to be 50% true. For a movie that says based on a true story, it only has to be 25% true. And for a movie that says inspired by a true story, 0%. And so here's what happens. For many of us, our insecurities, they convince us to settle for playing a version of ourselves that at best is loosely based on a true story and is at most only half true. 
the movie of your life might say true story, but the truth is it's only half true. It's only 50%. And we tell ourselves, it's okay for me to carry that label. True story, true story, true story. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is what happened. True story, I'm good. True story, I'm fine. True story, we're good. 50% true. The other half's you going, not good, not fine. We're not okay. Can't let them see that, right? Nobody wants to see that movie. Nobody wants to read that story. And this is where Timothy found himself. He found himself where many of us find ourselves, playing roles and playing parts that are at best half true and are at worst not even true at all, not even a little bit. And in The Thing Beneath the Thing, Steve Carter talks about five different masks that we wear, right? Five different parts that we tend to play when our insecurity hijacks our identity. Number one, the performer. The performer. Here's what a performer does. Performers expect to find their identity in their achievements and their successes. They can flip a switch. Performers can flip a switch and instantly be on, playing a role. Performers enjoy being noticed. They, they base their value and worth on what people think about them. Performers believe in the theory of limited good. This is a real thing. There's a, this is a real thing. People believe it's called the theory of limited good, that there's only so much good out there for people, and you better go get it. Otherwise, somebody else is going to get it. They believe in that. There's only so much good, and if I want it, I better, I better earn it. I better take it. And they ask themselves, the, the things that, that freak them out are these kinds of questions. What happens when and if I fail? What if someone does better than me? That's the performer, the pleaser. Number two, the pleasers want to help everybody, right? Pleasers know other people's needs even before they do, right? They're, the pleaser's intention is good, but the motivation is off. Here's why, here's why pleasers tend to help. They want to help people, not so they can help people, but so they can gain kind of a favorable position in the atmosphere of whoever it is that they're helping. Helpers, the pleaser, they, they, they fixate on solving problems. They want to solve people's problems. They're going to carry the burden and responsibility of fixing other people. They want to take care of everybody else, usually at the expense of themselves. That's the pleaser, the perfecter. This, this, is, this, this mask, right, this role is played by, by the person who fears being wrong. Right? Somebody said in our group on Wednesday night, the men's group, like, I was wrong once, but it turns out I was only wrong for thinking I wasn't right. That'll hit you. Just give it a minute. Think about it. Right? This, the perfecter, they constantly challenge the way things are done. Like, there's a better way to do this. I can make this better. I can do this better. Last night, I was stuck in traffic going, I can figure this out. I can make this run way smoother. I can get 65,000 people in and out of a stadium way better than these people can, right? Perfectors, they argue and they defend their positions, their opinions. If, if, if a perfector is ever proven to be incorrect, it's not their fault. They believe the lie. Perfectors believe the lie that they have to have it all together all the time. No mistakes are allowed. And it's not just that a mistake is a mistake. Shame gets attached to mistakes and flaws. The fourth mask is the power mask. Another form of, uh, of insecurity is pride, right? So people that put on the power mask, this kind of mask, they, they'll power up. They'll power up on people real fast, like tone, energy, all those kinds of things. People who put on the power mask, they, they, they threaten right, negativity towards others. People that put on the power mask, when they start to feel weak, what do they do? They belittle their opponents, and they try to get people to back down. This, this, mask, this mask means I'm always in competition, and I have to win. And then the last one is the pretender. The pretender always has to be in and never out. The pretender's entire worth will disappear if somebody else has more, does more, or knows more. There's this burning desire within pretenders to need to be more, right? In fact, and I love this line in the book, that, that being in for a pretender, being a part of something, people looking at you go, like, that person is in. It is a matter of soul survival. And there's no price that's too high. Pretenders Cannot, let ev cannot ever let their imperfections or their vulnerabilities be known. So which one do you wear? I'll be honest with you, I've worn all of these. It's not just that we go to one. Oftentimes we use all five. 
But I'm, I'm going to be real with you. I told you I would do this, right? The ones I go to the most are the performer mask and the power mask. And here's why. The performer says to me, and I believe this, that there's no way, Brad, anybody will love you, let alone like you, including Jesus, for who you are. Brad, if you just took who you were, there's no way. There's no way that anybody would like you, let alone love you. Also, Jesus, he feels that way about you. The, the power mask says you can't let anybody see you bleed ever. You must be invincible. Never let them see you bleed. Never let them see you hurt. Never let them know that you're tired. Never let them know that you're weak, that you're exhausted, that you're scared. Never let them, Brad, you might, be, you might be bleeding out underneath all that Kevlar. Don't take off that armor. Don't take it off. That's me. Those are the places that I go. And last night I even found myself, I'm sitting in traffic, I'm putting on that perfector mask going, I can do this better than you. I can figure this out. Everybody's dumb except me. This is who we are. Right? This, 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 is, this, is, this is what we become, right? When we stop growing in our identity and we let our identities get hijacked by insecurity, the truth is we're not those things. But we believe that we are. So how do we deal with this? Let's go back to our guy Timothy. Let's check out what Paul says at the beginning of the chapter, right? This is the introduction. Paul says this. He starts out in verse 1. He says, to Timothy, my beloved child, which is what? An identity statement. Paul starts out knowing that he's talking to someone who struggles with insecurity, and the first words out of his mouth are, Timothy, this is who you are. You're my child. Yeah, I know your dad might have bailed on you. Yeah, I know you grew up without a dad, but guess what? You're like my son. That's who you are. It says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I thank God whom I serve, as, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. I remember you constantly in my prayers. I remember your tears, and I long to see you, Timothy, that I may be filled with joy, which is how I really feel about you. Timothy was believing that everybody felt one way about him, and Paul says, number one, this is who you are, and number two, I want, I want you to know how I really feel about you. And he says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. If you've got your Bible open or Bible app, circle, underline, highlight the word sincere. He says, it's a faith that dwelt first with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells within you, right? Here's the cool thing about this. This goes back to this kind of acting thing, this mask piece, right? When Paul says, Timothy, I want, you, I want you to know who you are. You're sincere. That word sincere is this Greek word, right? And I'm going to do my best. Anupokritos. I didn't listen to it on Blue Letter Bible, so I don't know exactly how to say it, right? I failed Greek like six times in college. In fact, my professor went, please don't ever take my class again. So that's, where, that's who you got, right? But here's what this means. It means anti-hypocrite. This word sincere means anti-hypocrite, which the word hypocrite in Greek means actor or one who wears a mask. And so when you put the word an in front of that, it means anti or not. So essentially, when Paul says, Timothy, I want you to know who you are. Your faith, you're sincere, you are not an actor, you are not a hypocrite, you are not fake. This is who you are, Timothy. Take off the mask. And so from this, he goes into what we read earlier. So knowing that, Timothy, knowing, knowing whose you are, you're mine. Knowing how I really feel about you, and now, Timothy, knowing who you are, fan into flame the gift, the fire of God within you. Do not be timid, do not be afraid, but walk and live in that power, in that love, and in that self-control. Steve Carter gives us another way of kind of reading this. He says this, kind of a paraphrase. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm reminded of your non-hypocritical faith. Timothy, you're no actor. You're no pretender. Your faith is sincere and authentic. It moves you to tears, and that buoys my heart. Even as I sit in a Roman prison far away, I saw this real, honest faith in your grandmother. I saw it in your mom, and I'm persuaded it's going to stay with you all of your days. Timothy, here's what you know now. You know whose you are. You know how I feel about you. And in that, you know who you are. How do we deal with our insecurities? It's this. 
we have to know whose we are. We belong to God. If we've given our lives to Jesus, we belong to him. We know how God feels. We have to know how God feels about us. And once we know whose we are, how he feels about us, then we'll get a clearer picture of who we are. Could that same thing that's available to Timothy be available to us? Check this out. What if there was a different path? A path that felt like a home you once belonged to. A home where you don't have to hide the, oh, I'd rather not talk about that. A place where you are no longer defined by the, if I could only measure up to's. What if there was a path defined by the eyes of our creator? Seeing with the light, the one he created. A father who has no records of your past offenses or graph charts of how often you pray. There's no secret agenda, no trap door where you are not defined by self-effort. A place where you learn to trust God and trust others and allow them to love you. What if there was a place so safe you could share the worst parts of you and you would be loved more in the telling of it? What if you were welcomed home strength of a warm hug as you were picked up and wrapped close and told this is home my daughter my son come home I don't show the, the this video to like make everybody cry but I'll be honest with you I watched this video this week and I lost it because for me, I'll just be real with you, in my insecurity, there's a part of me that can't imagine that. I can't imagine that there's a place like that. Where I get to share the worst moments of my life. I can tell all the things that I've kept secret. And I'm not hated for it, I'm loved more for it. And I sat at my desk here, thankfully I was the only one in the church. And I just sat in my office and wept because I'm going, I, I, Jesus, I don't believe that that's true sometimes. I can't imagine that that's real. And I finally got to a place where the only words that would come out of my mouth were thank you. Because that's all I can give him. That's all I could say, because I can't earn it. The performer in me can't earn it. The perfecter in me can't figure it out. The power in me can't accomplish it. All I can say is thank you. So that invitation is yours today. Come home. Some of you have been living in your insecurity. Your hideout went from a temporary shelter to a permanent residence, and it's time for you to come home. Here's what happens when we grow in our identity. Even though it feels scary, what we grow in is comfort and confidence. We're comforted by God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will not go a day in your life alone ever again. And we grow in confidence. The word confidence comes from the Latin confide, which means with faith. We live with faith knowing that. We live with faith understanding and knowing that we will never live a day alone. Knowing that our power, our perfection, whatever it may be, cannot accomplish what God gives us. So you have a choice. There are two deals on the table. You can keep living in your hideouts. You can keep living in your insecurity. Or you can come home. In our insecurity, the only thing that grows is chaos and control. And the more chaotic it gets, the more control we think we need to get, and the more control we can't get our hands around, the more chaotic it gets. Here's your invitation today, church. Take off your mask. Come home. Stop trying to be someone you're not. Don't live in fear, but live in the power, live in the love that comes from, from God through Jesus. Come home. Come home. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. And in this time, if, if you just need prayer, I would love to pray with you. I'll be up here. Nick's going to be over here. Justin will be in the back if you need prayer. 
you just want to spend some time at the cross, I mean, maybe, maybe like me, it's like, you just need to go, thank you. That's all you can say. That's all you can say. You got nothing. You can do nothing. And God goes, that's okay. The perfecter, the power, the, all that, the performer in you went, what? God goes, you got nothing. You can do nothing. And I'm great with that. Let me do it. Just say thanks. If you want to say yes to Jesus today, I would love to chat with you about that. If you want to join this crazy family, this group therapy session that we call a church, we'd love to welcome you into this as well. Let me pray for us, and then we'll worship. Jesus, we love you. And we're so grateful for who you are. We can't earn your love because it's given. We can't power our way into your love because your love is the most powerful thing on the planet. We can't perfect our way into your love because you give us that gift. Father, I pray today that we would come home. For some of us in the room, we've been gone a long time. but God, you've never stopped looking for us. We've done our best to hide. We've built shelters. We've built fortresses. We've built castles. We've fortified ourselves. We've armed ourselves. We've armored up. We've prepared ourselves. And God, you never stop looking for us. So today, Father, I pray, if you have just one person in the room that goes, okay, here I am. I'm ready to come home. God, that we would feel that warm hug like you talked about. That we would feel the freedom that we have in you. That we can, we can share with you all the worst moments of our lives, all the things that anybody else that would disqualify us, anybody else they would run us out, anybody else they would run away, but you don't. Father, may we hear your voice that whispers to us, that cries out to us, come home. You don't have to be anybody else. Just be you. We love each and we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.